This is Task Force N Radio, and I'm its host, John Crotech, advocate for humankind, education, and commerce. We are on a mission to create human healing on a massive global scale and to tell the stories of people who have dedicated their lives to making our planet a better place to live. Hello, ladies and gentlemen and listeners out there. My guest today on Task Force N Radio, I am super excited about. I met Carissa Johnston, who also goes by the name, which has been given to her by her loving friends and family, Kundalini Carissa. But Carissa Johnston and I met in Florida at a workshop almost three years ago. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about her before we get started. But very briefly, Carissa taught me and taught the group that were there about mantra and the power of mantra and what it meant. So we were sitting there for almost an hour reciting a timeless mantra with activity. And at the end of it, I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, it, it was so cleansing and my mind was so clear. I've never experienced anything like that in my life, and I just thank her for that. But anyhow, so Carissa is doing a lot of great things to improve people's lives, which, by the way, when that happens, we improve the planet. And she is no slouch. She's not bohemian crazy person. She holds an MA in psychology. She has traveled all over the world and trained in over 3,000 hours in methodologies like sound therapy, kundalini science, special needs yoga therapy, and prenatal counsel way. She's also got over 2,000 hours of teaching experience under what we call the proverbial kundalini belt. And she's going to get more into that and tell us about that. But the cool thing about her, one of the many cool things about her, is she's also the founder of the Elevation Toolbox. And it's a methodology that helps people better manage their emotions and stress, which we all know is so badly needed in this hectic world of illusion and technology that seems to dehumanize us rather than humanize us. So her method, the Elevation Toolbox, offers specific tools to balance the brain, to strengthen the immune system. It cleans the glandular and lymphatic system to release depression, addiction, and anxiety, and also strengthens the central nervous system at the same time. Her programs, proven programs, provide fast-acting tools that helps people that struggle with symptoms of depression, anxiety addiction, PTSD, cerebral palsy, ADHD, grief, and many more things that befall the human organism. These methodologies calm the mind and they release the struggle that we all go through. So just admit it, ladies and gentlemen, we go through struggles. It's part of the human experience. And people like Carissa Johnston, Kundalini Carissa, are doing things to help all of us. These tools, by the way, are accessible to all people and they can travel with you anywhere you go on the face of the planet. These tools also cater to those who experience life with autism, OCD, ADHD, insomnia, and addiction. It's tangible and fast-acting. So, But she doesn't, doesn't do this by podcast interview. She actually is a hard-working human. She goes around and she does this at schools and colleges, corporate settings, and in personal one-on-one -on -one settings. And one cool thing about Carissa that's kept me going a few times is her meditation bus. Maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But many mornings, many afternoons, I would watch the meditation bus and I would think, holy cow, there are other human beings out there that feel the same way I do. So very humbled and, and honored to have you here. 
Carissa on Task Force N Radio. Thank you. Thank you, John. I'm over the moon to be here in excitement and so honored to be with you because I think the world of you and that intro was absolutely heart-throbbing. And I appreciate your enthusiasm for the work that I do. Well, you know, yeah, gosh, that gives me goosebumps. And well, you, you deserve it because you're one of those human beings out there in a sea of humans that is actually making a difference in people's lives. And that takes real courage. And when I met you almost three years ago, it was really cool. And I have never, ever experienced another mantra exercise like that. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you know your craft, you do it very well, and you are the one that brings about my enthusiasm because it just means a lot. And it's taken us a while to get here. You know, we've been trying to get this discussion going for a while, but but we didn't really have the podcast and, and you've been so busy, you know, doing things, traveling around and, 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 and us too. So without any further ado, let's let's talk about you. Let's talk about your background and, and where you grew up, who your mentors were. What was life like for Carissa Johnston mm. as a young person? OK, well, I grew up in Queens, New York. that's a different story right yeah (laughs) it was the 80s my parents got divorced when I was young I was three Hmm. we then moved out to Long Island New York which was potato fields and so it's quite different and then I spent half my time in Long Island and half my time in the city so I had the best of both worlds my mother was extremely structured she very responsible, hardworking, very strong, independent woman. My father was a hustler. He was a street guy. He had an automotive shop. He ran the streets in in the city, in Queens. I come from uh, five children. There's five of us. We're all vastly different, even though we grew up in the same house, is houses. My father had a severe alcohol problem. And as a result, I grew up extremely fast managing, you know, anybody who grows up in a home of addiction understands. As a result, it intrigued me to understand human behavior, human consciousness, addiction. And I was always a science nerd. I loved (laughs) animals. I loved animals. I was, I related to animals better than I did humans. By the time I was in third grade, I was diagnosed with dyslexia. I have a photographic memory, so I can see something in writing and memorize it. Pictures, I memorize. I had extremely high IQ, getting seven, eighth grade levels in math and everything else, but I couldn't read the word the. So I struggled socially and emotionally as a result because I couldn't wrap my head around it myself. How I got caught, quote unquote, <laughs> was that I would read with my books upside down. Because I was memorizing verbatim, I would have my mother or somebody read to me the night before and I'd memorize it. But then when I got to school the next day, I had to read out loud in the chapter. On three different occasions, my book was upside down. So I got. That's pretty interesting. You know, (laughs) I've never met another person that can read upside down. So I wasn't reading, I was memorizing. Isn't that amazing, though? Isn't that amazing how the human body responds and, and, and overcomes? It's so interesting. It's so, it just intrigued my, my mind to think about the brain and try to understand the brain. I was obsessed with animals. Every creature, every everything, I would save it. It didn't matter if it was a chipmunk, a bird, a dog. If it was on the street and it needed a home, I took it home with me. Had a broken wing, leg, it was in my pocket. It could be a mouse, it could be a cricket. I was caring for it. 
So then I went, I graduated high school and I went to veterinary assistant school and I wound up graduating third in the state. So then I went out to Colorado to a private school called Bell Ray and went to a veterinarian school. And after two years in that school, I realized that the business around the veterinarian care wasn't for me. My pathetic self and my compassionate self couldn't wrap my head around the business end. So I wound up leaving and I came back to New York. I met my spouse, my soon-to-be spouse, got engaged and married. All through this time, I would have this practice of breathing, but I didn't know that breathing was a thing. I didn't know it was a science, but I did know that it would make me feel better really quickly. And I was always had this divine connection to something greater. I always felt that there was something driving my force and my being. And I was always a person people called for their issues or problems. I ran my own mobile dog and cat grooming business. I took a school bus and I converted it over into a mobile dog and cat grooming. And I ran that for 10 years. I had over 500 clients. And then I later on sold it. My marriage failed. I sold the business and I decided that I wanted to go back to school and really understand human consciousness, psychology better because I wasn't quite sure how I got myself into a marriage and a divorce within a 10 year span. I was like, how did I get here? So I was like, let me go study so I don't make this mistake again. So I did. I'm two years into my degree and I'm vastly bored. I'm like, oh, this can't be it. This has to be, there has to be more. Well, what about this and higher levels of consciousness? And, you know, I was always divinely connected. I would see, I would see spirits. I would see as a small person through my whole life, I would be able to sit, my cat would pass away. Two weeks later, I would see her walk past my feet those kind of things. That's interesting because one thing you said a little a few minutes ago was that you always had this feeling inside of this something greater than yourself. Yeah. You know, and I've heard it say like the calling or but to you you said it's a feeling. It was and, always a feeling. it was a deep knowing inside of my guts or my soul. It was something I can remember being like 7 years old and being on my front property and knowing that there was a divine guidance through the energy of the sun. I would, it would be spring and I would just, it was like right in my heart, right in my gut. I would hear a, not a voice, but a vibration, like a yes. Like, okay, I hear you. I feel you. I see you. But then again, I, I didn't really know what it was. It wasn't, I didn't call it anything. All my brothers and sisters went to Catholic school. I actually got, was kicked out of religion as a small person because I was dyslexic. And they thought that something was severely wrong with me. It's the eighties in New York, you know, like (laughs) (laughs) you're possessed or whatever. They gotta go. Right. You know, she's out. So my mother came in the big station wagon with the wooden panel doors and come to pick me up. And she told me that from that moment forward that I never had to go back. So I didn't. And I didn't go to Catholic school like my brothers and sisters. And it was just, I was different from them. But I always understood the energy, the consciousness of animals and their heart and their purest form of energy. I just, I just knew it. It was innate to me. And I knew just because they didn't have a voice and they couldn't talk that there was a speaking, there was a vibration that we could communicate with them. And people used to call me the, the dog and cat and horse whisperer. Every, everywhere I went, John, it, it was amazing. The homeless animals, the street animals would flock to me. <laughs> I would always come home with it. I got another one. My mother was convinced <laughs> that I was searching for them. And I wasn't. You know, well, you mentioned this vibration and obvious to me, you know, I can feel it over the airwaves, but it's obvious that that you were intuitive at a younger age and that you felt this. And you know what? What's kind of cool is that animals in their purest form, 
it resonates because you know whether we want to realize it, we're animals. Humans are animals. Absolutely. So you're experiencing this at a very young age, driving your mom crazy, bringing home all these wayward pets. Hundred percent. And you're in school, and you're saying you're bored. So, so what's going on? So the, I'm like, there has to be something more. I have to change this major. I have to. There's got to be something more to this psychology thing. It can't be this basic. People, I know people are way more dynamic than this. It's not so black and white and cut and dry. So then I started studying parapsychology. And I'm like, okay, higher levels of consciousness, thinking outside the box, near-death experiences. Now we're talking my language. That I understood. So I'm reading this book. It's a beautiful book. It's a research book. Me, the science geek, I'm reading it cover to cover. And it's called Measuring the Immeasurable. It has 23 different authors. Now, that was a required reading for one of your courses, or you just found that book? I just found it because I I was writing a paper. I had to write a big paper. I had to write like a 30-page paper on clairvoyance and parapsychology. So I find this book, Measuring the Immeasurable, 23 different co-authors. Half of them are spiritualists and half of them are scientists. That's what I love about this book. Interesting, yeah. So you have all these perspectives. In this book, I stumble over the word kundalini. And I'm not a word person. I don't fall in love with words, but I saw this word and I was instantly illuminated by it. I said, this is the most beautiful word I've ever seen. I'm so, this kundalini, what, I had no idea what it was. It's so beautiful, this word, so, it's just gorgeous. <laughs> so I started studying kundalini. What is this? And off I went. I understood why I had to be on the planet. I understood, you know, growing up, I, I struggled emotionally. I struggled with depression. I felt misunderstood. I was always like the weird kid with the animals. Socially, I, <laughs> socially, I really didn't fit in. You know, I had a hard time, you know, in my education, even though I was very bright because it was I wasn't part of a normal social and educational structure in my physical, mental, emotional embodiment. So, you know, my best friend was a dog. I found him in fourth grade pooch. I had him for 18 years. He helped raise me. My mother worked three jobs and, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with my dog Pooch. He was my best friend, he was my confidant, and he helped raise me. He helped me see the unseen, hear the unheard. He helped me understand how to listen without seeing. I watched him and he taught me so much of who I developed into now and how I can participate in the world now. Being dyslexic in the 80s, they really didn't know what to do with me. And although I was a mainstream student, they put me in a lot of special needs classes. And when you're in special needs classes... It labels you for one thing, yeah. One, they were convinced I would never be or become anything. There was no real talk around dyslexia. They didn't realize what was happening in the brain. They just thought you were not getting it. But when you're, you're mainstream, so you're in your average classes, but then you're pulled out sometimes in these classes and put in special needs for extra help. But your peers in these special needs are people with Down syndrome, people with cerebral palsy, people with, you know, what they now call autism. So I would study these peers and I would think to myself, wow, what a disservice these classrooms are to these kids because they don't get it. These adults don't get it. I would think to myself, they speak to them like they're dumb, deaf and blind and they're not. And very frustrating. And as a result, there'd be a lot of behaviors. I'm telling you this information because that is what brought me forward in my adult life with the Elevation Toolbox method to help people with special needs. No, absolutely. You know, you're bringing up a lot of concepts here. You're bringing up intuition at a young age. 
Right. You're bringing up, we call it a feeling, you call it a feeling, but this right. calling. Right. We're talking about labeling now. Yeah. You're talking about vibrational states and animals and human interaction. And, you know, that's what leads you. It's what makes you who you are. And all these building blocks, I'm getting it. You know, we're starting to see a picture develop here. You see it now. You yeah. know, you're much, you know, we, we, you know what? You talked about this, you know, we, we, your dog taught you to see things that weren't theirs. I think how you put it. And so there you go. And I think that people like that lead an interesting life. And, <laughs> and, and you are, yes, it's all good. And, and that's, so we're seeing this picture develop and there's so many useful subjects that we're talking about. You know, the labeling with dyslexia, you know, casting people off that we, the proverbial society, doesn't think they'll ever make. And how often does that come or happen to people that they define themselves by what the society constructs them to be? So anyhow, sorry about the diversion, but... No, it's true. It's really true. It really affected my self-esteem. It really affected my teenage relationships. And I had to work really hard to get that back. And because I have a lot of fire in me, I was able to somehow, I'm not really sure how, take that information and allow it to drive me forward. Because now it's like, you tell me I can't, I will. No is not an option. I'm absolutely going to college. You know, all these things. And I don't know if I would be so motivated if I didn't have these great teachers, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So you got your MA in psychology. I did. I finally did. It took me a long time, but I did. (laughs) But that didn't bore you, did it? No, it didn't bore me. It gave me the information I need to create the programs I have created now around the Elevation Toolbox method. I needed the ideology of brain chemistry. I needed to know the different components of the brain and how they operated and how it affected people emotionally. When I sold my business, my dog grooming business, It gave me the opportunity to travel all over the world to study this kundalini science. So where did you go primarily? India? I started off in Canada because there's really amazing teachers. Right here in New York, there's really vast, amazing teachers. I started off in Canada and then I went over to India. I was over in Nepal, in India. I traveled into Costa Rica. I was through Turkey and Italy studying with some real vast teachers who have been doing this 30, 40, 50 years. The science is over 5,000 years old. Most of the teachers that I have had the privilege to learn from have a PhD, doctorate degree. So, so what I you, right, so what you're talking about is the science is meeting the spiritual, the, the humanistic side. Yeah. That's pretty enlightening just in and of itself because we're starting to see, I don't know if there's a, who is it who said Bob Dylan and change is, is going to come or, but we're starting to see a shift, I think. Absolutely. Especially here in the West, we're starting to see, I mean, it started back whenever, 60s, maybe 70s, but we're mm-hmm. starting to see the shift and intelligent people like yourself are, you know, taking your life experiences and, and, and gaining this knowledge to give back. And that's the really cool thing if I you know what connects all of these people together and I think it's exactly that and what you're doing giving back am I right or am I am I half-baked I don't know no I think that I think that the giving back energy is to be in service and when we are in service we are out of our ego and we can actually feel the consciousness of the heart And as you mentioned to me earlier today, which was so great that you remembered it, the heart is the first organ to develop as a fetus. So that 
energy. There, science says there's a 40,000 cell membrane that lives in the center of the heart. There's a consciousness, there's a, a vibration that lives in the heart all on its own. And this is through every single human being. And I'm pretty sure animals too, right? And so it unites us into a collective consciousness because we all develop from this energy form of the heart. And you're so right, because that's what I did remember. The, well, I remembered a lot of things about you, but you spoke about how the heart forms in the lungs and you mentioned the breath earlier. See, you were doing breathing techniques before you even knew the real value. You knew it made you feel alive. but And then the head starts last. But Unum Heart, which is part of your whole program, which is what we're talking about, one heart, right. one mindset. Right. We unzip these skins. We all look the same. We have very similar organs. We all have a heart, yeah. It's exactly the same. The blueprint internally is exactly the same in all beings. It's just the exterior, it's just the coat that we're wearing. We just shop in different stores. Well, what a, what a transformation, too. It's so cool to hear your story because, you know, there's many people out there that have probably had similar circumstances. I know my mom came from a very interesting household where alcohol was uh, imbibed quite often. And then, you know, the things that go on in relationships. Now, my parents didn't get divorced, but they may, it might have been a good thing had they be, uh-huh. done that because, you know, to live in misery is not a good thing. But so, but to see your transformation is very enlightening because it just speaks volumes about the internal drive to figure things out, but in doing so to find ways to help others. So, yeah, so Elevation Toolbox and all these cool things. Tell us about that, the Elevation Toolbox. I just want toolbox. to tap in what you just said. I think that if we could step back from the things that challenge us in life, from the situations that give us you know, uncomfortability and or grief, and if we can step back and outside of it and see where we can learn from these situations, they really can become great teachers. You know, I knew at a very young age what I didn't want to be, right, from stepping back and looking. And I understood at a young age how to forgive and how to understand the energy of compassion because I understood around my father's drinking when there was a lot of pain. Because I thought to myself that nobody on this planet could want to do that because they feel good, (laughs) right? There's a lot of stuff that goes inside. If you look into people's eyes, you can see where there's struggle. You know, it's, it's the path to the soul. So if you can step outside of the immediate circumstance and understand that most people's bad or crummy behavior isn't a reflection of how they feel about you or your relationship with them, but it's really about how they feel about themselves. Compassion and empathy can develop from that. And it's not to be stepped on or walked on and treated badly, but it's a way to not carry anger and resentment, which I believe clogs systems within inside of our own embodiment. And when that happens, it's very difficult to feel our best potential self. And the whole idea around elevation toolbox method is to feel your best potential energy the majority of the time. It's our birthright to be happy and healthy and safe. I like the way you say that because, you know, so often we focus on these weaknesses or these apparent weaknesses. And what I think that I'm hearing, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I what I'm hearing you say is that human beings have these marvelous strengths. And as we develop the compassion and the empathy, we can draw on those instead of concentrating on weakness. Because face it, we, we, we've all got weaknesses and they come from somewhere. But I think maybe, the, you see, this is what I love about you because you're making me think about 
deeper things than the average bear. And so when you think about deep things and you introspect, it gives you a certain angle, if you will, on improvement. And I agree with you. I think what you just said about your dad, and thank you for sharing that, you saw the pain in your dad's eyes. And certainly it had to have hurt because that's your dad. Yeah. But to have that type of intuition is another gift that you have that people don't want to do those things. They just don't. I can't believe that people want to drink to oblivion or imbibe drugs to where they're incoherent. You know, it's their way of dealing, but that's a great observation, you know, to learn at an early age. Yeah, it's a way of numbing whatever's going on for them emotionally. They don't either have the tools or understand how to get the tools to make themselves feel better. And they go to the quickest, fastest release, right? Does it serve them? No, but it definitely numbs. And if you want to walk around in that numb all the time, to me, you have to be trying to suffocate something that's not making you feel happy, whether it, what, maybe it's low self-esteem or depression or chemical imbalance, whatever it is. I don't believe that people are born mean or unkind. I don't believe that. I believe that there is deep conditionings that happen and that a lot of what we perceive to be negative behavior is learned and conditioned. And as a result, when we grow up and we don't feel good about ourselves because of this behavior, because we weren't validated or held in however it is that our soul needed to be, we do what we can to make that pain go away. And if we don't have the tools and we don't have the understanding of how to operate these tools, there's a good chance that we'll have behavior in our lives, whether it be substance abuse or over texting or over shopping or over eating or over sexting Gambling, or yep. whatever it is that we do to make ourselves feel better. Like I said before, I'm, I'm a big brain studier. I'm a big science geek and Kundalini is a science. It's 5,000 years old and it's a science of the glandular system and lymphatic system. And what we don't really speak about here in the West is that when these systems are not operating at their best potential self, it's very difficult to have our emotional state be at its highest frequency because the glandular center brain and in the body is directly connected to our emotions. Absolutely. I love the way you say that because, you know, even the earth vibrates and isn't it amazing. I always wondered, this is just, how did I attract that person into my life? You know, it's, you know, but when I started to reflect, maybe it was something in me that I could work on or become in tune to. So, yes. And what I like about your Elevation Toolbox, we'll talk a little bit about that. But you say they're easily accessible or maybe yes. not so easily accessible, but they're they're accessible and they're immediate. And uh. I'll get back to the to mantra that you taught us. And I'm like, first of all, I'm doing this right. I've been doing yoga <laughs> for a few years and we're doing this and Carissa's doing these movements and we're we're saying these words that we don't really understand because it's a different language. She knows what's going on. And I suspect she knew what was going to happen. But when we got done, there were literally tears flowing all the way around the room. And when I said it was a release, I mean, that did not take gambling. It did not take alcohol. It nope. did not take sexting. It did not take overspending or nope. anger or resentment or any of the things that we do to release thinking we're going to feel good. Mm -hmm. This was just a movement, ladies and gentlemen, and a few spoken words. And I saw fellow human beings, men and women, mm -hmm. crying. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's probably one of the top five most powerful things that I've ever done 
was sit in a workshop with Carissa Johnston to do this 58-minute mantra. Are you kidding me? I mean, so thank you for that. But anyhow, but I think what I'm trying to say is that it was something that was easily accessible, yeah. even though I didn't really understand it at the time because you're doing all the investigation, but you're teaching and it worked. And it was, I'd have to say, a life-changing experience because I didn't believe that just reciting a few words and doing a repetitive motion you know, tapping on certain body parts, which you say is glandular, unreal. And it happened. And I'm not half-baked. It happened. So, oh, yeah, it absolutely happened. I mean, I always say that the science changed my life because before I understood the science, I was really questioning what the human experience is about, why I really had to be here. I felt that it didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand. I didn't understand, period. I'm like, I thought it was a bunch of nonsense. I wasn't having a good time. I, you know, I struggled around my father having that addiction. I didn't like the way my siblings were developing as a result. You know, I was married and divorced and I was like, how the heck, what the heck is this life about? You know, I started practicing the science and in literally one to three minutes, I felt great. Absolutely. So tell us about some of these tools. I just mentioned mantra and I just mentioned movement. Yeah. And tapping on these body parts. But tell us about some of the Elevation Toolbox tools that people can access and tell us a little bit about those. Okay. So I'll tell you a little bit about the science first, if that's okay. Absolutely. It's your show. This is Carissa Johnston with the Elevation <laughs> Toolbox up in New York, a native of Queens who is discussing her journey on this planet and the things that she has learned through her own challenges and strengths. And so tell us about the science. You're amazing. Okay. So I think when people think about yoga and meditation, they get apprehensive because they feel like it's some kind of religion. And I just want to make it extremely clear that I don't teach religion at all. What I do teach is a science. We do speak mantra. And oftentimes people feel that mantra is chanting to a God or saints or, you know, that are of a religion that they are not resonating with. And again, that is not it. That is not what I teach. I teach a science. So the idea around mantra is that there's 84,000 reflex points <laughs> in the roof and in the palate of the mouth. So like we said before, this is all science-based evidence. UCLA, University of Phoenix, Arizona, they all neuroscientists that study this. So you know acupuncture, right? I do. I've actually been poked a few times. <laughs> so <laughs> acupuncture or yeah. acupressure is a very similar lineage. When I speak about the roof and the palate of the mouth, we don't use acupressure so much or acupuncture in the roof of the palate of the mouth because it's extremely sensitive, but we do use it in the body. But the science, the idealisms are very, very similar. They're parallel, just so you can get a better idea of what I'm speaking of. Yeah, I get that. And it does work too. So, you know, and it's immediate. It's immediate. So there's 84,000 reflex points on the roof in the palate of the mouth. And these are the reasons why we speak in these patterns around mantra, because the tongue is directed to trigger some of these reflex points to send a vibration or an energy up through meridian points or energy lines into the brain particularly the pituitary gland, which is the master gland of the brain. And the pituitary gland, when it's operating at its highest frequency, its highest self, is then able to manage all the other glands in the brain and in the body. There's 27 glands that live inside the human embodiment 
that we hardly ever speak of. Hmm. The glandular system is responsible for our emotions, but it's also responsible for our aging process. <laughs> I get so, it. Yeah. It's really interesting. So when we speak a mantra like satanama, you'll notice that the tip of the tongue targets right behind the two front teeth, right? So just rub your tongue right behind inside your mouth, the two front teeth underneath. Uh-huh. You feel that little doop doop? Yeah, there's like a little ridge in there. Little ridge. Well, that ridge is a meridian point or an energy point, right? Fascinating. That, it's fascinating. That energy point is directly connected to the vibration to the pituitary gland. It's sending a message to the pituitary gland. Hey, wake up, wake up, do your job, do your job, do your job. So satanama. That's all it is. Not It's nothing about religion here. A lot of the mantras that I teach don't even translate into English. It's just about an emotion, like Wahe Guru. Why do we say Wahe Guru? We say Wahe Guru because it targets the meridian points in the cheeks. When you say Wahe, it's almost like you're smiling. Wahe. So you're targeting the meridian in the cheeks that provoke the temporal lobe, that send a message into the center of the brain to release serotonin. Serotonin is the feel-good hormone. Nice. And sends a message to the kidneys and the adrenal glands to be neutralized. So the cortisol in the body releases. So that stress factor, that anxiety factor neutralizes. You know, you just made me think of a question. Yeah. First of all, it's fascinating. But, and, and, and then there's never any dumb question when it comes to things you don't yeah. know. So you just mentioned serotonin. I know that there's dopamine and there's cortisol and there's all these other enzymes or what, hormones in your body. And so what I'm wondering, we had talked about this earlier, what I'm wondering is some of these technological tools mm-hmm. that we utilize that mm-hmm. evoke some of those same body hormones. And we mm-hmm. talked about this illusion or not being real. Mm-hmm. Carissa, how does that compare like to release cortisol through your use of social media? How does that compare to saying a mantra? Is there one less authentic than the other or serotonin, serotonin? You know what I'm saying? Is so are you asking me like screen time? There's advertisements out there that help release serotonin in the by being on the computers or the screen. Right. Like the advertising and things, because I've heard that people I'm in social media and 10 minutes later, I'm really angry or depressed. And oh, something absolutely. that's supposed to stimulate you. I'm just wondering. I mean, it's my personal belief that screen time depletes the energy from the glandular system. And I don't believe that it's in service to the people to be on your devices often. I think it should be monetized. I think that the technology in the world is vastly amazing because- Because we can do this. Right, it gives us a lot of great information, but I think to be directly connected to your cell phones or the computer all the time, or even the TV, you know, I have a hard time in schools. It's, It's so contradicting because you have these smart boards that can do all of these amazing things and teach math in ways that are, it's incredible. But what we don't understand is that what it's doing to the psyche and what it's doing to the glandular system, what it's doing to the brain. And from where I stand and, and the population that I've been working with within the last two years here on Long Island is that, you know, teens and tweens are extremely depressed and suffering and it's become an epidemic. And it's my belief and my business partner's belief that screen time hasn't absolute play in this. You know, in Europe, they will not, they exiled, they will not allow 5G. It's like illegal. Wow. Yes. So there you go. So, that, you know, yes, I, I hear you. And, and in an effort to connect through technology, we've all actually become disconnected with ourselves. It's interesting because 
like I said, there's so many great benefits to technology and these advanced sciences, but I think that it's very important to understand that too much of anything is no good. And, you know, as much screen time as we want, because then there's an addictive quality that happens. We need it. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I need my phone. I need my phone. Where is it? Where is it? You know, we don't understand that we're creating new neural pathways inside the brain for different types of addiction. A need. I need, I don't feel I'm lost without my phone. I hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, not your liver. It's your phone. And you're going <laughs> to survive, I promise. But the neuro energy in the brain is absolutely making us believe that we it causes an anxiety to be without it every kid that i work with the head is down and they're in the phone you know and i can't i can't even you want to take it one step further the head is down we're in the phone and then i think about the structure of the cervical spine and what that does and how we're collapsing into energy of the cervical spine so now our fluid in our spine which is everything to do with our central nervous system isn't operating at its best potential self you know pretty incredible when you think about it you know so that's yeah Lots of things to think about. So Kundalini, yoga, the elevation toolbox, the mm-hmm. mantra, this mm-hmm. is science and this is not religion. And I'm glad you clarified that because, you know, even me, people say, well, you're conservative, your hair's short and, you know, you wear a suit and tie every now and then, but you speak an interesting language. <laughs> and, and it's like, you know, I walked into a gem shop last week and they were all kind of looking at me and I was looking at the quartz crystals. And when we started talking, then they were like, who is this guy? And the owner of the shop comes up and she goes, we need more people like you. But what's not about me, but it was like, you can enlighten yourself and not be so scared because crystals are not, they're not effigies. You're not praying to it. It's just a, it's a gem that's pretty prolific in the universe and quartz has a vibration. It's Uh true. Science has proven it. So it's so nice because people like you, Carissa, are, like I said earlier, you're on the cutting edge, so to speak, of ageless practices and beliefs that have real human value. Absolutely. And we have the ability and the opportunity, no matter where we're at, to tap into these amazing tools that to me are gifts from the universe, quite honestly. 100%. You know, the other thing about this Kundalini science is that it has everything to do with the mathematical equations around triangles and 90 degree angles. So the reason why I'm telling you that is because we create different body shapes within our arms and hands. Like we'll lift our elbows as high as our shoulders and bend them. And then we'll push on the pointer finger and the thumb and connect. So now we're creating a 90 degree angle here. When we create these 90 degree angles, we're pressurizing those meridian points back to acupuncture with inside the body, which sends message to the glandular system to release. When we release the energy of the glandular system, it just creates space. When that happens, again, the parasympathetic system is able to do the same thing. Anxiety and grief hang out in the parasympathetic system. The lungs harbor grief. You know, the second organ to develop as a fetus is the tongue. It's the heart and then the tongue. So, you know, the little kids and they stick out their tongue. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I've done it many times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So you literally, tar- when by sticking out your tongue with such deep emotion, you're targeting the bottom meridian of the heart to release. So we're not harboring all this energy, right? It feels good. Stick out your tongue and then, okay, it's, you feel better, right? Yeah, you do. And you know... That's amazing. One thing you mentioned earlier, too, is, you know, the breath, you know, like if you're full of anxiety and and I've even noticed that when you're fearful, you breathe real shallow. 
and sometimes very quickly. Mm -hmm. And if you take one thing that I think I might've learned from you too, but I I remember I put a little program on my, an app on my phone Mm -hmm. that comes up a few times a day and it's like a 60 second meditation, but it really is about breathing. Absolutely. And the breath, just like the meridian points with the 90 degree angles on your elbows and your fingers, the breath is an us and is another human behavior or human activity that calms you down. And the best part about the breath is that it's immediate. 30 seconds, less than a minute, you will absolutely have a state change, which gives us an opportunity to start again. It gives us the understanding that we don't have to stay in our own comfortabilities. We have an option to move out of whatever it is, whether it be the negative thought processes, whatever it be jealousy or depression, we have anxiety, whatever it is, we have the opportunity to shift gears. I think I always go back to cars. My dad was a car guy, right? And, you know, we can push on the gas and go fast or push on the brake and slow down. There's an option there. Same thing with the breath. If you're feeling like you're not feeling happy inside for whatever reason, it really actually doesn't matter. If you're feeling like you're not feeling your best potential stuff, you're not feeling happy, go back to the breath. There's millions of techniques, a few I hope to share with you today to help you shift gears to go back to your original state of being and start again. One to three minutes, 30 seconds, you'll absolutely have a state change. That's awesome. And you know, one thing that you just said in a nutshell, each individual has the ability to have genuine free will by the choices we make with the activities and the things that we do as humans. 100%. And something so simple that doesn't cost a dime or some, you know, some of the methodologies out there, they charge you an arm and a leg for, mm-hmm. which makes this so fascinating is you are empowering people to utilize things they, they already have. Most things already live inside. The breath for now is free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When they start taxing that, we're going to fly to the moon, right? <laughs> totally. Maybe. Go to we, Saturn. Can, we can go there anyways. But. There's lots of, yeah, we totally can. I think the biggest challenge that I the feedback that I get for people is to remember to access techniques like the breath because it's not within our realm of seeing, right? We can't see the breath. So we hold the breath in when we're in stress, we suck the gut in, we, we hold. And then all of a sudden we feel this overwhelming anxiety, this overwhelming depression, this overwhelming fear. If we could just remember to breathe, I'm actually, you know, I used to wear a rubber band and I know this is pretty popular, you know, back in the eighties and nineties around my wrist to because ju- I'd look down and see the rubber band and it would just remind myself, oh yeah, Carissa, just take a really deep inhale. There's science around the breath, John, that, you know, tells us that when we breathe through the mouth, It releases different hormones within the body to activate different muscles, right? So when you breathe through the mouth, it activates the adrenal glands. And the adrenal glands are what's responsible to release the cortisol and the adrenaline inside the body. So it's like your fight, flight, collapse. You want to run. You're in danger. You're running. You're running. running. (laughs) We hyperventilate. (sighs) It's through the mouth. Oftentimes, in the pranayama practice or the breathing practices through the lineage of kundalini, it's through the nose because the nose sends a message to the brain, left and right hemisphere, the left nostrils connected to right brain, the right nostrils connected to left. It sends a message to the brain to chillax. And when the brain is chillaxed, 
And yeah. I remember you doing that too. I remember closing off the nostril and I was thinking, I'm never going to be able to breathe. Everybody. You know, which, you know, it's kind of freaky almost like you're, you know, taking a dive off the deep end without a snorkel. And it's like, but actually you're so right. I mean, it's, it is science and it does work. The best part is, is that you don't even have to take my word for it. Just try it. Try it for 30 seconds. Try it for one minute. And if you don't have a state change or you don't feel better than you did a moment ago, well, then keep doing what you were doing before. And feel the same way. So the tools in the box, mantra, yep. yoga, meditation. Yep. You know, what are some of the others? I work a lot with sound currents. So I work a lot with sound vibration and mantra. I work a lot with breathing and hand mudras because oftentimes I'm not working with a population that can you know, sit down and do a downward dog or sit down and do a part of a kriya or, or a movement that is, you know, socially acceptable for their office <laughs> space or in schools. I work a lot in schools and colleges and healthcare professions. I have a program for corporate consciousness. And so oftentimes we're, I'm not working with people who are in a yoga-like setting. I'm working with people who are in business and schools and we can't necessarily get down on the floor and, and do a full set, what they call in the science, a full kriya set. So these are fast acting tangible tools through specific breathing patterning and specific sound current patterning or mantra and mudra specific hand positioning and finger positioning to access your steady state of calm science says that within our fingertips are meridian points or energy points same thing as acupuncture pressure or puncture when we pressurize the fingertips in certain ways within certain ritual we're sending a message to the brain, again, to chillax. So a mantra like satanama. So now we're targeting the meridian right behind the two front teeth into the pituitary gland. And we'll use fingers or a hand mudra. And we'll start from the pointer finger. We'll do middle, ring, and pinky. So it's satanama. We do that one to three minutes. You can't help but be in a neutral state. Very fast acting. Very fast acting. You know, you mentioned sound and you know, one thing about music, you know, and, and putting together vibration, you know, didgeridoo and Native American flute, the lyre, you know, all these instruments that invoke vibration. Somebody was telling me that even music, you know, as we grew up, you're talking about the 80s, some of the music that we could relate to. One song might make you feel rebellious. Another song might make you feel love. Mm -hmm. And even music is almost a sound type of therapy too, Absolutely. to get in touch with your feelings. And that's really what mantra is. I mean, when we go back to the science of the brain, sound or music is the only frequency on the planet that activates all parts of the brain simultaneously. Absolutely. So you do believe that it's possible to end human suffering? I do. And I believe that sound current comes in many different vibrational forms. I mean, if you really listen to your breath, that's a sound current. We listen to the ocean, right? We have these little machines in our bedrooms in our bed to listen to the ocean to help us fall asleep. That's a sound current. We listen to the trickling of the rain or waterfalls. That's a sound current. We have a favorite song. Why do we have a favorite song? Because the rhythm or the vibration that that song is operating on resonates or mirrors what we're feeling with inside of our vibration of our heart that's why it becomes our favorite song it's about a connection <laughs> it's awesome i mean it's just as awesome because it makes so much sense it's not complicated and it's here at our fingertips and in our minds and in our throats and it's here here and here now 
Right. And it's megahertz. It's sound. It's even people who are deaf, right, feel vibration. Vibration is sound, whether it be a rumbling, whether it be a systematic flow of heart connection. It's not about the clairvoyance of the ears itself. It's about listening through all these other fields that we operate in, whether it be the vibration of a touch. Listen, animals can sense a storm coming before humans understand it. They this sense the vibration. Yeah. We, we just had that hurricane and the birds, I noticed the birds and even the mammals, they were all getting ready for yeah. something. You could just tell, you could like tell. It's all over. You know, so where do you, where do you see yourself? I know mm-hmm. we can't predict the future, but in yeah. a perfect world, which it is really, where do you see yourself in five years? What would you like to see happen in your life? I think my goal is, my passion would be to be able to share my toolbox method, my elevation toolbox method in mass realms, to be in like auditoriums, to be in stadium-like settings where we are all doing breathing and chanting in the same frequency and currency. One, to teach people that they could build their own toolbox. Two, to help uplift the vibration and the consciousness of the planet. Because when we are in collective energy, vibing or breathing or mantraing, you know, at the same time, collectively, we're sending out a rhythm or a song to the universe to operate at its highest, best potential self. And I believe that our planet and all the people on it would benefit from that. My greatest wish for all human beings is to have the opportunity to at least try this science once in their life. I love that. So let me ask you this, Carissa. How do people, I know you're in Queens, but that's or in Long Island, but it's a well, big now, place. Yeah. How can mm-hmm. people, let us know how we can contact you and where people need to go to find out more information. Thank you. So you're all more than welcome to visit my website at uh-meditate.com. Dot com and that's uh hyphen meditate.com my social media you're always welcome to inbox me or email me or even text me and I, I know my phone number's out there people call me and text me and email me all the time with questions and needs and i have videos and youtube but it's under kundalini carissa so k u n d a l i n i K A R I S A and i'm on facebook and instagram and twitter i have a youtube channel I have lots more videos coming out soon on my Venmo account, so I'm very accessible. Definitely somebody that is not hiding. You're out in front and center. You know, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. What's your personal mantra? What keeps you focused and what keeps you going? That's a great question. I love that question. I have two. And the first one that comes to my mind is that before there was medicine, there was breath. So nice. go back. Yep. <laughs> and my second one is to live better today than you did yesterday. So just to do your best in every moment. And that my, I guess my third one would be that everything is fixable. I love those. Those are good words of wisdom to live by. What do you think as individuals, what do you think our role is in humanity? I think that our role on an individual level is to access your best 
energy, your best internal, emotional, and spiritual energy collectively is to share that information, share what you love, whether it be, you know, maybe your meditation is a ru- you're running, you're running, that's your meditation, share your passion, share what you love. And I think that, you know, there were some really great prophets on the planet. And they had a lot to say around the consciousness of love. Everybody from, you know, Bob Marley, he spoke about, you know, one love and Bob Dylan and even the Beatles. You know, there's a lot of great information within their musical lyrics. And I do believe that right now on the planet individually is to lift yourself up in the best ways you know how. And because everybody wants something to feel better in a New York minute. Right. I do believe that this is the fastest way to get there. It's the fastest way that I've known. And I've tried it all from where I sit. I've tried everything that I could possibly even think of to feel better. And this is the only thing that has worked for me without being toxic and has been sustainable. Awesome. And when we're able to feel better, we can be better and do better. Once we know better, we can be better. I think Maya Angelou said that. Once we know better, we can live better. And if we live better, that becomes part of our radiant body. Our radiance, our energy with inside of ourselves and our exterior being becomes contagious. And if we can create a domino effect on that, I think our planet will not only survive, but it will thrive. And all living beings on this planet can be happy, safe, and free. And I think everybody deserves that. Definitely some great, great words of wisdom and livable, doable, accessible. Totally. Um, yep. It's been way too long. And I'm so glad and humbled to have you here and, and honored. Truthfully, <laughs> you've touched my life and you've touched thousands of lives at a global level. And it's inspiring. It's motivating. It's real. And all I can say is, you know, keep doing what you do. I look forward to our next meeting and I really appreciate you being here. I am, like I said, John, I'm over the moon be here and i can't thank you enough from the bottom of my heart to yours and you too you keep thriving and sharing what you know and all the amazing work you're doing on this planet i mean there's so many of us that benefit from you and i think like attracts like and i'm happy to call you my friend and i'm beyond excited to be journeying with you doing this great work together well thank you thank you for that you know it really makes me feel good good stuff john you're the best god bless you God bless you. We'll be seeing you soon. I hope so. I'm going to fly down and give you a great big hug. Thank you for listening to this episode of Task Force Zen Radio. Through education, we will raise global awareness, create more balance, perpetuate human healing, and diminish suffering in our world. Because humankind matters. Humankind matters.